Good morning. The scripture today is from Colossians chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those of Alaska and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with possible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord so to walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and that and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him in him, with him, through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, kneeling it to the cross, disarmed all the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing for them and him. Therefore, no one passed judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on to the <coughs> In detail, with, about visions coming up without reason for his sensuous life. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, body nourishes and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows in with the growth that is from God. It is with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, if, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to the human percepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom, promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The Gospel of the Lord. This brings I offered to fill in for Jared this morning so that he could enjoy some time with his family. Now he's waiting. Just get coffee. Okay. Yeah. He used to get decaffeinated. But, uh, so, so this is your first time with us. I do uh, urge you to return next week. Uh, Pastor Jared, as he takes us through the gospel, uh, 
our current series, sermon series has been I just preached the gospel week. And many of the messages that have uh, been in that series have been titled with a question. And in fact, when you look at the Gospel of Luke, it sets out to answer some questions about Jesus. Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? And what does it matter to us today? Then some of Pastor Jared's more recent messages have been questions. What does Jesus want from me? Who can be saved? Who will enter the kingdom? He probably will have another question for us next week. So, but as you can tell from this morning's scripture, uh, we're not in Luke. And the book of the old thing you'll see that the title of the message is not a question. But it is an answer. And uh, this is a message I actually have the title before I placed out the message. Uh, because as I was studying Colossians 2, uh, a couple of things were going on. Uh, we were still in theology, in our Sunday school class, the theology lesson. And it seemed like if you ask a question, more often than not, the answer might be God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit, unless it's something in particular. But it just kind of struck me that the answer is Jesus to a lot of questions about our theology. And also at that time, there was, I'm a fan of Southern Gospel music, there was a current number one song that was written by Karen Beck Gooch, uh, Kenneth Turner West, who's married to Dottie West's son, and Lee Black. The title of that was The Answer is Jesus. And the first part of that song takes a look at being troubled about what's going on in the world, all the violence, and all the morality, and all that type of thing. And the second part of it is called for the church to be salt and light in the world. And the answer to all of these problems is Jesus. And even if you're not an avid listener to Southern Gospel music, I would recommend maybe going to YouTube or whatever media platform you use and uh, listen to The Answer is Jesus by Karen Bay and New Griffin. I think you'll be blessed by that. Then also, uh, I know there's a young man here who pays more attention to my messages, I think, than some of the adults. He has uh, insightfully reported uh, to his father some comments that I've made, and uh, that's Jason Calendrio, and uh, he's a remarkable young man. But I can just imagine, he looks at the bulletin says, tells we've been going through a series of messages with the title being a question, now we get one with an answer, and he's going to say, well, if this is the answer, what's the question? Well, I had a great question, but it was a troubling one. The question that I first came up with was, how can I be sure? Now, if you're of my generation and you hear the of that, how can I be sure? You probably go back to a number, well, number four tune uh, by the Young Rascals. It was in late August, early September when it picked up. It was called, How Can I Be Sure in a World of Constantly Changing? How Can I Be Sure? I'll Be Sure with You. That's how it concluded. It sounds better in my head than let's come down here. <laughs> and in fact, when I was working on it, I found myself going to YouTube, listening to that song two or three times, and saying, this is not going to work. So that question was out. Oh, that's a great song. But I thought every time I would bring that question up, to answer in this message, I would be distracted, and I thought my generation out there might do the same thing if I would say that 
question three or four times. By the time I got done, they were back in 67. They're living their good life. Anyway, I come up with a different question. And honestly, that took me more time than I thought it would. I could come up as I was going to sleep, come up with a great question, wanted to forget what it was, and I woke up. So anyway, I settled with this one. And it may not be the best of the ones I had originally thought of, but it's one I'm going to work with today. My faith is being challenged by a new teaching. How can I discover the truth? The answer to that is Jesus. And just a reminder that uh, Paul did not actually plant the church in Colossae. That was the work of Epaphras, who had uh, spent time with Paul and had sat under his teaching. Uh, but this young church had never been visited directly by Paul. But Epaphras had communicated to Paul that there were some problems here. And we looked at some of that in the earlier message. But today we're going to look more at the Colossian heresy uh, that is the focal point this morning. I didn't get all my scriptures in my so I got my Bible up here, so I've got messing around here and stuff. This isn't big enough this morning, so. <clears throat> anyway, uh, what we want to look at this morning, as I say, is the Colossian heresy. Uh, Steve Lawson said it's like four different things all merged into one. It wasn't any one particular one that stood out, but it's individual ones that were, in, were uh, attacking the church. So, uh, chapter two, and I thank you, Helen, for reading that sheet. Uh, we had a brief conversation about this at Young at Heart. She was concerned I was going to be giving her a book of one of the books of the Bible that had a lengthy genealogy with names that nobody could pronounce. So, I think she was, even though she had a whole chapter three, I think she was relieved that it didn't have any of those names. But anyway, thank you for reading the second chapter. Because I want this to be in context, but in truth, we need to go back a little bit farther. Because this portion of uh, Paul's letter actually begins in uh, chapter 1, verses 24 through verse, chapter 2, verse 5. So part we'll look at in just a moment. But in 24, he said he talks about he rejoices in the suffering, how he Paul has suffered for their sake. And he's done this for the Colossians, and he has become a minister of the gospel by God, and he makes known the fullness and the riches of God's gospel message for the Jews and Gentiles alike. And in chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, for those who may not see it, and for all who have not seen me face to face, their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. And the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you. Plausible argument. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul is preparing the Colossians for his teaching now about the heresy that Epaphras had reported to him. And of course, he does this when I consider to be typical Pauline fashion. He doesn't spend time developing the heresies, but instead he does this by promoting Christ. And in an earlier message, I shared this from the ministry of D.L. Moody. Uh, during the 1893 World Columbian Exposition in Chicago, there was a, a, a parliament, World Parliament of Religions, set up. And Moody, instead of attacking the parliament, he chose to undertake a, 
enormous evangelistic campaign in Chicago, who, as Moody said, I am going to make Jesus Christ so attractive that men will turn to him. And for Moody, the answer was Jesus. So the four heresies that I'm going to briefly touch on this morning are philosophy, legalism, mysticism, and asceticism. Again, Paul does this by not offering a detailed argument against it, but rather affirming the person and the deity of Christ. In verse 8 we read, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abound in thanksgiving. Our first one will be philosophy. And when I first encountered that in the commentaries, and I thought, well, Dr. Sterling's going to be here. I'm going to be very careful about what I say about philosophy. My knowledge of philosophy fails much in comparison to him. But the reality of it was, as I read through the commentaries, they all had a good thing to say about philosophy. Philosophy is love of wisdom. So therefore, that wasn't a problem. The Jewish faith, in fact, contains a lot of wisdom and appreciation and love for wisdom. Job's Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are all books that are called the wisdom books of the Bible. But the false teachers were taking wisdom in a different direction. It was a spurious teaching that reduced Christ and elevated something else. Alan Thompson's commentary I found helpful. He said, what Paul's concerned about is a certain kind of wisdom or understanding of the world and how it works that is hollow and deceptive. It is hollow in the sense that it's empty or devoid of anything that has spiritual value. It is also deceptive in that it claims to offer spiritual insight while leading people away from the truth of the gospel. So Paul's response to this empty philosophy is found in the following verses. For in him, meaning Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You have been filled in him, who is the head of all, and rule over you, who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul then goes on to remind the Colossians of what has happened to them because of their receiving Christ. And in verse 11, in him you were circumcised. For the circumcision made without human hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Paul again is reminding them that they were dead in their trespasses, that God forgave them through the work of Christ on the cross, and by so doing, God has disarmed the rulers and authorities put them to open shame by triumphing over them. We read here Paul presenting a new circumcision which is baptism. If you recall for the Jewish male, baptism circumcision was a sign of the covenant. This new covenant has a sacrament of baptism. F.F. F. Bruce, Bruce notes, the sacrament of baptism derives its efficacy not from the water or from the convent's token burial in it, but from the saving act of Christ and the regenerating work of God. So baptism is our public proclamation that we are Christ. 
faced with a challenge to your faith? Are you faced with a challenge to your faith from the strange philosophy? One kind of poem, closer examination, is found to be hollow and empty, deceptive. Well, the answer is Jesus. Paul had already written them about this earlier in this letter, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, and I'm not going to read that, I just kind of touch on the highlights of that. For Christ is presented as the image of the invisible God. For by him and through him all things were created. All things are held together by him. Christ is the head of the church, firstborn from the dead. For in him the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. And through him all things, whether in heaven or on earth, are reconciled by his blood. So if you're searching for the meaning of life, the answer is Jesus. Legalism is our next heresy, verses 16 and 17. Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Judaizers, who are former Jews who profess to be Christian, but they held on to all their Jewish heritage, which included Mosaic law and everything else in Jewish tradition. They believed that Christ plus the system was necessary. They insisted that Gentiles had a physical circumcision to be complete obedience to the Mosaic law, and these were non-negotiable from them. So I want to be careful here when I begin to speak out against the law, because I think the law does have a twofold purpose for the Christian. First, the law reveals our sin. Since we can't be perfectly fulfilled, we are in violation of the law. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short. God. All is all. There's a second point, I think, that also, the law points us to Christ for salvation. Our inability to keep the law turns our direction to seek how we can be reconciled. That's where our salvation will be found in Christ Jesus. In Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life is set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and it's comforting words to know that the law is enabled to complete our salvation, but it can point us to one another. So, uh, we could say a great deal about legalism, and I think you can you encounter it in a very a variety of ways in your Christian walk. Uh, but the point that I just really wanted to make here was that legalism reduces the work of Christ and elevates the work. And um, Mark Hughes had these words to say about uh, about the law, and I, it's going to be kind of lengthy, but it's very insightful. Uh, he writes, judgmentalism, this is some of the aspects of the law, judgmentalism, which is miserable for the judged and the judging, because it shrivels their souls. So whether you're judging someone else or being judged, it impacts your soul. 
And he also writes then, legalism is intrinsically joyless. You can only achieve joy by perfectly keeping the law. You and those around you are doomed to despair. <coughs> legalism also demands uniformity. Whenever you find legalism dominant, you will find people who dress the same way, use the same speech, posture, and master. Do not produce a grotesque uniformity. And lastly, such legalism produces a surplus faith because it, its adherence emphasizes things that are not really important. There do not ignore deadly sins such as covetousness, gossip, slander, bitterness, and hatred. Legalism limits one to shallow self-righteousness and thus damns them. Note that Paul does not say, forbid the faithful to keep special days and special diets. Rather, he says in verse 15, 16, that no one has judgment on you in these things. Paul is reminding the Colossians, and it's applicable to us today, that there is great liberty in what we as Christians can do. We can keep days or not. We can have diets or not. The decision is ours, not one to be imposed upon us. concludes with this. This is a warning to take to heart. Because time and time again, as legalism has come into the church, the church has become judgmental, joyless, uniform, and shallow in faith. I personally believe that legalism, disregarding, when you disregard that all their foods and festivals are there, are the most miserable people professing to be Christians. So if you encounter a legalist who's beginning to give you a list of do's and don'ts, and I've talked about uh, the church I grew up in had a list of do's and don'ts, and I think uh, I've spoken to some others, they had the same experience. Uh, thinking of Philip Yancey, his uh, autobiography, the name of which is at the moment, but anyway, the church he grew up in had an extensive list of do's and don'ts, and if you violated one of those, you were in trouble. But the point is, those things are not important in our salvation. If someone brings you that list of do's and don'ts, simply self, tell them, I have my answer and it's in Jesus. Because I have liberty in Jesus. Our next one is mysticism. And actually, mysticism and asceticism kind of work together, but I kind of broke them off here just. To separate them. So, uh, Paul notes that the form of mysticism that was troubling the Colossians, the Colossians saw, was worshiping an angel as a better way of drawing near to God. Verse 18 said, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, visions puffed up without reason in his. Mind. So the mystic was saying to the young Colossian believer that uh, I have a better way to get to God than what you do. I'm a very humble person. I know that I cannot directly come to God, therefore I'm going through one of the angels. And then as I piously go through this angel, if I do it correctly and with great sincerity, God will my petition. That may sound pious and may sound totally disregards the gospel message of Jesus Christ. 
a huge road about the mystics. They love to act humble and say we are not good enough to go directly to God. So we begin humbly with one of the angels, which we are in correct spirit, will elevate our request to the hierarchy to God. This is supposed to be a more effective way. The reality of it is, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. Jesus washed it white as snow. Even today, there are those who talk about having visions and having, hearing the audible voice of God directing them in ways to which to have their best life now, or how to advise others how, how, to, how to have their best life now. So that phrase is really nothing new under the sun, because there's always those out there attempting to find a different way to God. But the reality of it is there is only one way all of Scripture. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. So if you're being challenged by someone who has a mystic approach to God, just remind them that the answer for you is Jesus. Then our fourth one is asceticism, which is prevalent in the Eastern religions, but it's, you, you'll see these occasionally. People who uh, are doing extreme fasting, denying themselves physical comforts and uh, making an appearance that because of how depressed and distressed my body is, how holy I must be. That is their act of spiritualness. Uh, it kind of reminds me, I heard this a long time ago, uh, the story of a man who uh, received a, an award from his service club for being the most humble member. And when he uh, wore that medal to the next meeting, he took it away from <laughs> So uh, that's, that's kind of the way I, I see the sense. They're drawing attention to themselves. They're puffed up by their great spirituality. Uh, that's how you are to identify your, work with, your walk with God is because you are sacrificing so much that God is going to be, bene be generous and to you and give you the things that you most desire. So, fasting, is it bad or good? Well, it's good. But it's good on your turn. It's good when you decide to fast. And you, you, do, you do your fasting for a specific purpose. Uh, for instance, I need blood work four times a year. I have to fast before I do blood work. Not a big deal. Uh, but that's not the type of fasting I'm talking about. We're looking at the ones where when you deprive yourself generally of food, but maybe something else, you take that time to focus upon your relationship with God and seek out answers and guidance with Him, usually using the scripture. That's the purpose of that fast of fasting is to do that. So someone pressuring you to be an ascetic. Draw closer to God, saying this is the way that you to do that. Well, the answer is still Jesus. So I want to finish reading chapter 2. We'll get finished up here. Beginning in verse 20. If with Christ you died to the element and spirits of the world, why is it you are still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perished as they are in you. 
according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping indulgence of the flesh. Paul is rightly here reminding them that the flesh <coughs> will corrupt you if you pursue after it. Only Christ is the way to reach God. So, we've looked at just four of those. Each one of them probably merits the message all on its own. It's what is to be familiar that for the Colossian church, there were heresies. And these heresies were by people who professed to be Christians. So they were within the church spreading the message. In addition to that, of course, the society around them was pulling at them for various reasons as well. But this morning, I began by asking the question, how can I discover the truth in regards to my faith? And I would just answer it this way. If you're challenged by new philosophy, and you explore that philosophy, discover that it's not, it's not having spiritual value, then the answer is to Jesus. If someone's trying to force you to observe dietary laws, celebrate festivals and holidays or uh, new moons and Sabbaths. But it doesn't point to Christ. We're going to be celebrating Palm Sunday, Easter, Good Friday, all those events. Those are worthwhile noting and celebrating. If they point to Jesus. But if it doesn't point to Jesus, look for the answer in Christ. And the same for mystic, uh, a mystic process of finding a new, discovering a new, different way to God. Now, the answer is still Jesus. In the same way with those who wish to become an ascetic, denying the body, attempt to increase the spiritual awareness. Now, the answer is still Jesus. The answer has always been Jesus. For that, we are eternally grateful. Now the answer is Jesus may not be the right answer on math test, but it is the correct answer to the question of life. Following prayer, Jared graciously allowed me at the last minute to ask him to change the closing hymn for the hymn. In Christ alone would have been fine, but I really just felt like most the solid rock would be just a great way to summarize uh, the points of this message. So as we sing that, as we sing that, I would ask that you pay attention to what he's saying. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and righteousness. Pray, Father God, we realize the world we live in. has many challenges from outside our faith and perhaps those we can recognize and more effectively deal with. But when we encounter people who profess to be believers and they're promoting something new and different that really isn't new and different at all. Father, may you grant us the wisdom and the insight to explore what is being promoted to us. 
Examine it as they say, as the breed of it, thinking everything from Scripture. As we discover the lie that is contained within that, give us the boldness to not only reject that, but to share with them the good news that the answer is Jesus. For it's in his name I pray.